the nations of the world, how they came to be, who they originated from. Now, in today's world, there's huge mysteries, right? I think there's mysteries everywhere. Everybody's always asking questions. Where did this come? How did this happen? Uh, a great mystery that seems to still go unsolved today are pyramids, right? They have pyramids in Egypt. They have pyramids in Mexico. They have pyramids in South America. They have pyramids everywhere throughout the world. Seemingly unconnected, but very similar nonetheless. Some explanations for this is uh, aliens made it. Aliens came down and they built pyramids in Egypt and then they liked them so much they went somewhere else and they started building in other lands. Uh, other uh, theories, try explanations is uh, we don't know how it happened. It just happened. It's a coincidence that all these different cultures and languages started making pyramids. Um, and some of them look like each other. But one thing that is a consensus all throughout is the usefulness of these pyramids. What was their purpose? And in most cultures, the majority of the purpose of these pyramids was to conduct human sacrifice at the very top. This happens in many societies. The records of that culture being found and translated into our language tells us that that's exactly what they were used for. They were used so that they can please some kind of deity, a god, by performing human sacrifices. Some of these sacrifices were people that were captured in war, prisoners, enemies. Some uh, were young women that were uh, literally bred for the sole purpose of sacrificing virgins on top of these pyramids. Nonetheless, the truth remains that there was nothing in these pyramids and the construction of these towers to honor God. Now, if you've read chapter 11 before, if you studied about the Tower of Babel, then you understand exactly why every culture in the world that has pyramids has pyramids. Today we're going to be reading on how God punished the pride of man because man refused to obey what God had commanded. We're going to have two truths that we're going to find today about the sin of pride in humanity and the sovereign power of God over sin so that you can learn whether or not you're being deceived by sin and how to guard against it in your own life. Let us read Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, the humans, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar or tar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower 
with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So we find a very clear summary of what God did at Babel. Now, you may ask yourself the first question, right? Why don't we have more details? We need more details. If you're a person of details, sometimes that can be a little frustrating for you, right? I need more details. But really, the important part here and the two issues that are very important to focus on is the sinful plans of man's heart. Or more specifically, the sinful plans of your heart for our first point this morning. So now, why the sinful plans of our heart? God was very clear with the instructions after the flood. He told Noah and his family in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, what do we see here in chapter 11? In chapter 11, in verse 1, we see that the whole earth had one language and the same words. Verse 2, that they migrated, so they were all moving as a person group, all the humans at this point of time. They went to a land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now, very interesting uh, detail, right, that we should really pay attention. At this moment, there was only one language, and the words they spoke were the same. Why is that detail so important, right? You should ask yourself, why is, why is God saying they had one language and the same words? Because there was no dialects, right? They didn't have a slang. You know, if you speak Spanish, anybody speak Spanish in here? If you speak Spanish and you go to Mexico, you may not understand the language there if you come from Colombia or if you come from Puerto Rico and vice versa. All those countries speak Spanish, but we have different words. One time, I highly insulted an Argentinian because I said a word that is just a normal word for Colombians to say, and this person turned red and was almost yelling at me. We spoke the same language, Spanish, but we didn't have the same words. Same thing. You speak English in Texas. If you go to the north, that English is not the same. And we may not even have to go that far. If you go to Louisiana and you try to speak English there, it's a whole other, oh, not language, but a whole other dynamic of the vocabulary. 
So that's why this detail is so important. They all had one language and they used the words. That means there was no misunderstanding in their communication. Something very interesting. I mean, even within our own family, I married a Mexican woman. We've been married 12 years. And sometimes she'll be saying something. I'm like, what did you say? We don't speak the same words, although we speak the same Spanish language. So these people understood each other perfectly. There was no misunderstanding. There was no slang words that needed to be translated to your parents. Nothing. Same language, same words. What did they do with this amazing gift and this amazing ability? They disobeyed God. God told them to fill the earth in Genesis 9. But in their hearts, it was now. (laughs) We will settle here. Because this is where I want to be. They migrated. There were tent people. They set up, tore down tents, sojourners. And at one time they said, that's enough. We're going to settle here. During distinct rebellion against God. They want to intentionally resist what God says. After all we've read in Genesis and how God deals with sin, have you stopped to ask yourself the question, why don't these people get it? Why don't they get it? Adam and Eve, Cain, all the people... The, the sons of Noah that saw firsthand the destruction of the world for the reason that they disobeyed God, they sinned against God. You'd imagine these three men and Noah, four, would just be t- teaching and telling these people, you need to obey God, you need to obey God. He destroyed the world, he hates sin. Why don't these people get it? And here we are, after some time, population has grown, and they still continue to rebel against God, intentionally, purposely going against what God has taught. But we don't have to go that far to find rebellion. Ask yourself this question. How many times do I intentionally resist what God says? How many times you knowing what sin is, what God has commanded, you intentionally, knowingly resist and go against what God has taught? We've had thousands of years of this history, of these warnings, And yet, still today in 2023, we find ourselves rebelling against God. Many of you have grown up in church. You have 15, 16, 17, 18 years of hearing what God demands, what God expects, how we ought to obey God. 
And yet in your heart, you say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's rebellion. That's an intentional resistance against God. And again, as we're reading through, through Scripture and through the Bible, it's very easy for us to just go back to these people, right? Like, how can they be so thick-headed? How can they be so disobedient? Same thing. Because of the sinful plans of their heart. And the same thing for us. Because we have sinful plans in our heart. We know what is good, and yet we deny it. Because we don't want to deny ourselves the pleasure. In Psalm 10, 3-4, verse 4 says, In the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And we come to this element. There is a pride that develops and grows in our heart. It could possibly even be growing in your heart right now. And you're not aware of it. God is very clear on the way he speaks. He's even been so gracious to us that he wrote it down for us. And he's even been more gracious in that, that we have it digitally. Wherever we go. The expectations of God are clear, well known to most of us. And yet we willingly and intentionally rebel against God. But not just that. We don't just rebel against God. We just say, no, this is what I want to do. But then we begin to consider ourselves more important than God. Now, those words may never come out of your mouth. You may never say to your friends, hey, guess what? I'm more important than God. That's probably not going to happen. Now, there are some that have said that. I'm greater than Christ. But I don't think most people will do that. I don't think... You would do that, nor willing you never do. But you do say it by your actions. And you do say it by the intention of your heart. In verse 3, we see that they go and they said to one another, in one language, in one word, no misunderstandings, nobody thought they were saying something else, says, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and bitumen for mortar, or tar. That's a much easier word, tar. Especially for second language English speakers like me. So tar. So they didn't have any materials. They didn't have any raw materials. They decided, say, come, let us, like, pay attention. We can do this. We've got this ability. Let's make bricks. And let's use the tar pits in the land to put it together as mortar where is God in this plan it's non-existent to them in their heart they're saying there is no God firstly by settling secondly now we're going to build for ourselves this has an idea let us make bricks of let's make it so we can build our name this is more emphasized in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city 
and a tower with its top in the heavens. These two verses, when it says, come, let us, is a call for attention of pride, of we're going to make ourselves a name. We're going to build a city, not that it magnifies God, not that it will be a blessing to others, but it's going to be a city for us. It's going to known, be known because we built it. Now, some of us, most of us are not building cities. But I think a lot of us get caught up in trying to build a name for ourselves. We do things, we work, we gain skills and talents, and we use those, one, not realizing it is because God gives it to us, and two, because we want to build a name for ourselves. The pride continues to grow in our heart if it goes unchecked. And it sometimes is very difficult for us to detect that it's even there. But notice how this rebellion started. It started by disobeying God's command, by disobeying God's word, by going against what God had said. They were doing the first two parts, right? They were being, they were being fruitful, they were multiplying but they did not fill the earth. You can't halfway or two-thirds of the way obey God and still think that you're honoring God. You have to obey God fully. You have to be fully committed to Him. Why? Because then it grows. Then the intention of your heart is, I'm going to build for me. I want people to know me. And we live in a society that's easier than ever to build a name for yourself. Social media gives you an audience that's immediately reached globally. But what are we building for? These people building for themselves. What are you trying to build? Are you building for the Lord, for His kingdom, or are you just concerned about yourself? And notice the second part of this verse. Verse 4 says, And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now you should think to yourself, how ridiculous is this? They know what they were supposed to do. Some could argue that, oh, well, they forgot that God said to fill the earth. But this tells us that they know exactly what they were supposed to do. What God wanted them to do, they want, God wanted them to disperse, to fill the earth. That I know we're going to build a name for ourselves unless we be dispersed over the whole earth. Rebellion starts small. Pride starts small. As you guys grow and you accomplish things in your life, 
It's going to feel good to accomplish. And you should. You should desire to accomplish things. My youngest daughter is super excited when she puts both shoes on the right feet. It's a huge accomplishment. And guess what we do? We give her high fives and we're like, great job. You did awesome. And she's like, yeah, I accomplished something great. My oldest daughter, when she cleans her room without being told, we tell good job. We give high fives and she gets excited. That's an accomplishment. There's nothing wrong with accomplishing things. What becomes wrong is when we accomplish for the wrong reasons. You guys, some of you are athletes. You've accomplished accolades. Some of you are musicians, actors, great readers and writers, singers. And you continue to accomplish it and you should be glad and you should be proud of that. But never forget that the ability comes from God. The people at Babel forgot where their language came from, forgot where the same words came from, forgot who even allowed them to multiply, to be fruitful. They forgot all this. And their accomplishments became for themselves. Don't let that be you. Don't let yourself be deceived. We've got to remember, as Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. That includes telling us how we ought to live. And as you can see, man's plans, man's path up to chapter 11 were over a thousand years in human history already. And their plans are continually to disobey God, to rebel against God, to disobey Him. And as Chance mentioned this morning, is God will punish sin. There's a pattern that we have seen continuously in these first 11 chapters of the Bible. God will punish sin. Don't fool yourself and deceive yourself into thinking that just because you've gotten away with it so far, that God will continue to let you get away with it. We're called to repentance as we studied last week. Today is a day of salvation. God has a plan, and His plans are holy. And we're going to see the holiness of God and His mercy in this second part of our text from, chapter, from verses 5 through 9. So for our second truth is that the holy plans of God. Let us look at this. And before we get too further, I want you to realize, and, and you don't have to understand it or anything like that, but I just want to show you something cool on the structure of this passage. It's called an antithetical structure, and I think there's a picture in there for that, in between. Okay, 
So pretty much what that means is that the verses relate to each other kind of like in a tower kind of way, in a pyramid kind of way. Verse 1 relates to verse 9, 2 to 8, 3 to 7, 4, 6, and 5. Verse 5 is like the transition of this passage. So up to verse 4 right now, we've seen man's heart, man's desire. This is what I want to do. God told us, go fill the earth. Nope, I'm only going to obey the first two parts. I'm going to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to settle here. We're going to build a city, not to honor God, not to be like, good, remember this city because God saved us from the flood. God has his plan of redemption for humanity. Therefore, nothing will stop that plan. Look at this city. Look at this tower to remember God for how amazing he is, how wonderful and merciful he is. No, it wasn't that. It was look at this tower. Look at this city. Look how amazing we are. Look what we can do with just bricks and tar. And the bricks we made ourselves. Let me tell you how we did it. Just proudful. And then we come to verse 5. And verse 5 is a transition. Where we're going to begin to see the holy plans of God. Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, at first glance, you may think, well, doesn't God see everything, right? I've asked this question a, a lot. Doesn't God know? Didn't God know they were building a tower? Like one day he just woke up like, oh, hey, there's a tower there. That's not what this is talking about. We also got to keep in mind this tower building construction. It's possible that it had been going on for about a year. It was a long project. They had to make bricks first and then begin the building. What verse 5 is telling us is that in the eyes of the Lord, this great, amazing tower that goes into the sky and reaches the heavens is so puny compared to God that he has to get even closer and closer to even see it. The irony of it all. In humans' eyes, what they're doing is amazing, it's great, it's impressive. And then the Lord comes and slaps them in the face and says, that puny thing? That's nothing. And a second thing to notice in that verse is how they're referred to by God. The children of men. Once again, indicating that there is no relationship with God. There is no obedience. There is no faith in God and the Father, only in themselves. God waited for this magnificent tower to be built, only to come and say, that puny thing, that's what you're proud of? That is what was worth disobeying and rebelling against me for? And it's just a stark reminder for us, where it should be at least, that nothing that we build up in this world 
will ever look great or impress God beyond like, wow, you're so talented. Nothing unless we're in Christ. The Lord came down to the city, saw the tower, that thing. What are some things in your life right now, some characteristics about you that you think are so amazing, that are so impressive? You don't have to say them. I don't want you to boast. I don't want you to lead into proudfulness. But just think about it. I think we all have something in our heart that we consider ourselves very good at. Again, there is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you being an amazing athlete, amazing artist, an amazing singer, amazing. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. These are gifts and talents that the Lord has allowed you to develop and grow in. But where is your heart? Is it being deceived into thinking that this talent, that this skill is more important than God? Do you think you're more important than God? That is where the pride comes in. And then we start going into the knocking down and destroying what man was so proud of. Verse 6 correlates with verse 2. Verse 2, what is it? They all settled there in one land. Verse 6, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. I'm sorry, with verse 1. And they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 6 correlates to verse 1. I misspoke. They all have one language, same words. Verse 6, what this, God is realizing this and seeing this. Nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. What is it that men are proposing to do? Is it, is it necessarily talking about great construction, great feats of construction? No. What men are proposing is to continue feeding the sin in their heart. They continue to propose earlier in Genesis, we see that the sin was continuously in their heart, growing and desiring to sin more. And having one language and having the same words, perfectly understanding each other, they can create many ways to sin. So what does God do? Amazing. So verse 7, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. They're boasted in their language. They boasted in the same words. Man's heart, sinful heart said, come, let us make these bricks, make this city and tower. And in verse 7, we see this wonderful illustration of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's when they designed man. Come let us make man into our own image. 
Now, in verse 7, come let us together go down and confuse their language. For what took men possibly two years, according to the research that has been done on how, it would, how long it would take to build something like this by hand at that time, God destroys in an instant. Their language is confused. They no longer understand each other. Verse 8, now God's plans will always be fulfilled. God promised a Savior that will come to pay the sin for price, the, the price for sin. God could not let the sin of humanity get to the point that it was before the flood. And showing His mercy, He confused our languages so they no longer can plot and plan together unmeasurable sin. God's holy plan continues to move forward. What's the next part of that plan? Verse 8, The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. God's plan will come to fruition. Now it's not very clear. There's a several different understandings and people have opinions on this. How were they dispersed? Did God just all of a sudden take people all over the world and put them there? Or they had no choice but to begin migrating throughout the world? There's, there's those two different. But again, that's not the important part is how they got to those places. The important part is that God fulfilled His plan. He commanded that humanity fill the earth and therefore, God made it happen. In a way, protecting humanity from continuing to growing in sin. Today's world, we see a continuous push to try to bring back humanity as one. We've got amazing tools for language and translation. I could go to Germany not knowing a single word in German and probably have a conversation with someone li live in real time with the technology that exists right now. I think anybody would be foolish to argue that the technology that we have today it's the greatest technology that we've had ever in the history of humanity. We're more connected than ever, and yet we're more depressed and there's more anxiety than ever. See, because man's plan, I think in their heart, in our sinful heart, continues to be the same. And it's how can I rebel against God? 
As Christians, we need to understand. Take advantage of the technology. What are we called to do? We're called to make disciples. The Bible has been translated to over a hundred languages. Some even dialects that are only part of a region in the world. So again, there's nothing wrong with this. The technology in itself, the desire for language and share, there's nothing wrong with that in itself. But is what are you using that for? How are you allowing that to build in your heart? As Tom mentioned, there's social media everywhere. There's sin everywhere, promoted to us everywhere. Are you able to discern and pick out when your heart is being deceived? Or are you following in the holy plans of God? The nation started... As we read in, if you finish reading chapter 10, nations were established in certain areas of the world with their own language. That's how the borders came to be. The Lord made his promise and his commands come true. This goes to show that none of us can stand in the way of God's plan. None of us are greater than what God has commanded. Therefore, let us not fall prey to the deception that we don't need God. And God, just to add a little bit more insult to injury, in verse 9, Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of all the earth. If we build and we achieve for our own glory, for our own name, for our own pleasure, we have been warned that God destroys it. He has called us to be humble, not proudful, and to obey Him. Just going to finish with James 4. Everybody turn there with me, please. Verses 4 through 10. What should our response be when the sin of pride is revealed in our heart? What is our condition if we remain unrepentant? Verse 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Do you love the world more than you love God? You're an enemy of God. 
You have known the truths of the Lord and you willingly reject it and ignore it. You are an adulterer before the Lord. You're in rebellion of God. But He gives more grace. And that's our hope. Because neither you and I can achieve this relationship with God on our own. It says, therefore, it says, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Bring yourself low. Stop thinking of ourselves higher than we actually are. More important than we actually are. God opposes the proud. He rejects it. He doesn't want anything to do with that. But He gives grace to the humble. How do we do this? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We need to realize our condition before the Lord without Christ. And that is a condition that keeps us far away from God. But we also need to realize that God gives more grace. If you would just humble yourself before Him, seek Him, draw near to Him, God will draw near to you. Don't be double-minded. Trust the Lord fully with your life. Verse 10, again, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. That the purpose of your life would be to honor God in all that you do. You won't have to worry about nor uh, fame. You won't have to worry about whether people know your name or know how amazing you are. Because all you're going to be worried about is what does God think about me? If we honor the Lord, we humble ourselves before the Lord, He will exalt you. Let us not be deceived like the people at Babel. Let us not be deceived into thinking that we can most of the way obey God and be okay. That's not going to work with the Lord. And we see here in a clear example of how God destroys what the proud build. Let us be humble in our heart. Let us seek the Lord. He has promised to draw near to us when we draw near to Him. Today is a day that the Lord has made for you to turn from your ways, to realize that maybe the, you've been deceived in your heart, maybe your, the plans in your heart are sinful, and that you need to turn away from that. You need to place your faith in Christ and repent. Today is the day for this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Let us pray. Lord, thank You so much for this day.
Lord, thank you for the constant reminder in Scripture, Lord, that if we are without Christ, if we do not fear you, Lord, our hearts will run wild with sin. We will dishonor you in everything that we do. But also, Lord, for the great reminder that you humble the proud. Lord, you break down what this people of Babel thought was amazing and great. And to you, it was puny and meaningless. Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning that we need to obey you fully, Lord. That your plans, my Father, will come to fruition. You're a God that is faithful. You keep your promises. Lord, that these students will leave today and, and, and analyze themselves, analyze their hearts. Lord, where is the sin that is causing us to be proudful? Where is the sin that is deceiving us into thinking that we don't have to obey you and everything will be okay? Lord, thank you for your mercy, your grace. Because you do not allow us to be as sinful as we could be. But also, Lord, because you provided the perfect, perfect sacrifice for our sin. Thank you because Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't. So that today we may have salvation. That we may have hope. That we can come near to you and you be near to us. That we will purpose in our lives, in our heart, Lord, to follow you in all that we do. Not for men, but for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.